0: Well, I want to uh, invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats, and we'll continue with our time together uh, this morning. Uh, My name's Brad, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm part of the teaching leadership team here at Jericho, and uh, it's good to be with you here as we learn together, as we worship together, and listen to God together. So we're nearing... Uh, the end of our winter teaching series which is good cuz the weather's kind of changing over to spring and we've been talking about and moving through a series on uh, entitled fear not. So we've been talking about things that often when we mention them, they kind of stir things up in our own lives and uh, today we're going to tackle what's maybe one of the biggest fears of a lot of Christians. When you talk to people and you ask them, what are some things that you would name that you are uh, afraid of? One of the topics that consistently comes up is the topic of evangelism. Just mentioning the word can kind of stir up all kinds of emotions And thoughts, it can stir up feelings of guilt, inadequacy. I think I should be doing this, I'm not doing it. Um, Some of you, it may stir up uh, memories of uh, experiences or strategies that you were taught to use, and maybe you have a bad hangover from some of those, and maybe they were heavy handed or focused on closing the deal or any kind of thing like that. Uh, My own journey with the topic of evangelism began with my parents, with my folks. They were first generation Christians. So when they came to faith as adults, it was a radical and life changing event. For them, I still can remember uh, as a young child some definite switches in our family that happened around those, around that moment or that time and season. In fact, for them, it was so transformational in their life that it became just very natural uh, to compellingly share the things that had happened to them with people around them. And so they were like zealous. Like they were super zealous about this. They handed out tracks to every single server at every restaurant that we went to for a season. Uh, They talked to people in the park. They talked to people in the parking lot. They talked to all their family members. Like they were really really focused on this. And my mom in particular was actually really winsome and very natural and I think very gifted at this. She would strike up a conversation with anybody about faith. And she actually still does this to this day. Uh, I can remember being in the lineup with her at Zellers growing up. And she's striking up a conversation with the checkout lady. And before we have gone through the lineup, this woman is bowing her head and praying. She's crying. I'm standing there as a kid, very embarrassed that this whole thing is transpiring in front of me. And she's just confessing her sins and saying yes to Jesus. And I'm like, can we get out of here? I need to get to a soccer game. (laughs) But my mom is just like that. Like she's just um, talking to people all the time about what Jesus is doing to this day. Like we came home, they, they, uh, my folks look after our kids uh, for a week when we were in Tanzania, And when we came home, I got this phone call from a woman who had called from the Globe and Mail, and she said, oh, I talked to your mom. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. She's like, such a wonderful lady. We talked for quite a long time (laughs) uh, about Jesus, in fact. Uh, So my mom will literally talk to all of these people. My mom, from my perspective, she does an incredible job at evangelism. And I'm so uh, encouraged that likely there'll be hundreds upon hundreds of people who find Find their way into a life-changing relationship with Jesus as a result of my mom, just her very faithful and natural winsomeness and boldness that she's maintained over the course of her Christian life. It's fantastic. But there's a problem with the picture that I just painted, and that is I learned unintentionally quite quickly and quite early in my life that I could never replicate that that even though, like, you might look at me and think, oh, Brad's a raving extrovert. You know, he'll talk to anybody, and there's an element of truth to that. But I don't have that sense of ease that my mother has in these conversations about faith. Evangelism does not come naturally or easily to me. And some of us learn not only to have just a dis-ease, when we look at other people and the way that they have just such a natural way of talking about Jesus to others, we actually come to be afraid of it. And we just steer clear. We don't want to get involved in that conversation. And believe me, having grown up in the home that I did, I have been there, I have lived that. I, there's elements of my life where I'm just afraid of evangelism of challenging myself to actually talk to people about faith and about Jesus. Recently, I've been trying to figure out how I can really begin to challenge myself more and and see if there's ways that are more natural and more conducive for me so that that fear can kind of go down. But trying to do it in a way that's congruent with my personality and in a way that reflects God's heart for people. It's a challenge, it's a challenge for all of us. And I think that's where some of this fear comes from. Um, Mike was mentioning when we started our call to worship that we've just finished reading the book of Acts and the story of the birth of the early Christian movement. And even that, you can read through the book of Acts and look at Paul, uh, at one of the leaders in there, and the way that he did evangelism and go, well, I could never do it like that guy. Like he just stands up in front of whomever and like just gives it to them real clear. And he's so sensitive to his context and all of those things. And one of the things that struck me about Paul as we were reading through uh, the book of Acts is he was good at encouraging other people as well in their own ways of doing evangelism. He would take them alongside with him. And we get a window into this uh, and his young protege Timothy. So turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and Paul actually as he's writing this to Timothy, later in his life, is leaving him some instructions about how to think about evangelism, and uh, it's very helpful for us as well. We're going to see three things that in this text that we need to know about evangelism. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and read verses 1 to 5 in the New Living Translation. I solemnly urge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time's favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage people with good teaching, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They're going to follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, and they will chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. So in this passage, we actually see three things that we need to know about evangelism as Paul is teaching Timothy on those. So the first thing that we see is that evangelism is hard work. Evangelism is hard work work. See, for some reason, this truth is profoundly comforting to me. I think because my mother made evangelism look so darn easy, and when I tried it or try it and it doesn't go as easily as she makes it go out to be, I become dazed and confused. But they always say yes to Jesus when my mom asks them. Why when I ask them, is it hard work? What's wrong with me? I like how the English Standard Version puts just a sharp point on this. In verse 5, it says, yeah, endure suffering. In other words, it's going to be hard work. And do the work of an evangelist. In other words, when you engage in a process of deciding that you want to tell other people about what God has done in your life, you should expect that you will experience the things listed in this passage. And the things listed in this passage include people won't listen, people will reject the truth and chase after myths. You should expect that evangelization will result in some form of suffering. And above all, you should expect that evangelism is going to be hard work. Even the Apostle Paul. He was the author of many of the books of the New Testament, an amazingly gifted evangelist. If you look at what he says at the end, a little bit further on in this same chapter, he says, The Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all to hear. You see, Paul wouldn't say that the Lord needed to give him strength if it wasn't hard work to do it, if it wasn't difficult. But see, somehow, in our day and time, we have things like five easy steps to lead anyone to Jesus. Three, th- three things you need to know to make evangelism super easy for you. And to be fair, I think a generation ago, in our culture, evangelism was easier. Like most people in Canadian culture a generation ago, were generally shaped by a set of presuppositions that contained some level of biblical understandings, and they were, had a similar worldview, or a lot of overlap, by and large, with those who called themselves Christians. And so often, when you were doing evangelism in that context, like a majority context, where a lot of people knew about a lot of the things you were talking about already, Sometimes all you needed to do was give them a nudge in the right direction, invite them to a key event. They were primed, they were ready, and evangelism maybe was a little bit easier in those days and times. But we need to just acknowledge that we're not there in our culture today. Things have changed rapidly, and so I think we're still finding our way back into a healthy conversation on evangelism, and some of us are just flummoxed and confused because it doesn't work like it used to. But here's an intriguing thing in this passage that is put out there for us to consider, that evangelism is not easy work. See, when you think about it, what you're doing when you are engaged in a conversation about faith with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus and hasn't yet trusted their life to him, you're engaged in walking straight into enemy territory. You're engaged in a conversation that has high-stakes significance, and you're desiring to take ground, spiritually speaking, away from the enemy and see someone come to a place where they acknowledge something which they're not yet prepared or not currently prepared to acknowledge. You're wanting to see a soul that is spiritually lost and spiritually blind have an eye-opening encounter with the living God and be transformed, as the New Testament says, and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And friends, the devil does not like to give up easily on that kind of stuff. Often in the lives or with the people that you're in conversation with, the enemy has held ground there for decades, sometimes even generations. And you think you're just going to walk in there and get him to give up that all real easy and that an evangelistic encounter is just going to be a simple cinch walk in the park? I don't think so. Evangelism is hard work. But here's my point. When we expect something to be easy and we try it and it turns out to be really hard, we get disappointed and disillusioned and pretty soon we stop doing it because it just didn't go the way that we expected it to go. When it comes to evangelism, though, I think it would be helpful for us to remember that our expectation is going to determine our preparation. If we think something's going to be easy, then we don't prepare very much for it. But if we think something like a a sporting match or a rugby game is going to be hard work, then we actually go about our preparation for it in a very different way. If we think and expect that we're going into a spiritual encounter that's a battle, we train up, we get prayed up in a different way than if we think this is a walk in the park so I think our starting place has to be that we just acknowledge what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Do the work, do the hard work of evangelism. It's just hard work. And so we should expect that. More on this a little bit later. So let's move on to the second thing that we should expect and that you and I need to know about evangelism. So the first thing was that evangelism is hard work. And the second thing is that evangelism is everyone's work. You see, this verse isn't just directed at Timothy, from Paul to Timothy. It's also directed at you and I. You and I need to hear and heed this command as well. So the word to Paul the word from the Holy Spirit through Paul to you and I is don't be afraid, work at telling others the good news. Evangelism is everyone's work. But you might say, okay, Brad, <clears throat> what about? Uh, this whole conversation about spiritual gifts that you like to talk about sometimes, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And look, in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter four, also written by the apostle Paul, it says, now there are gifts that Christ gave to his church. There are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And when I look at my life, I don't have the gift of evangelism. No, I don't have an apostolic gift or a prophetic gift. So it must be that those evangelist people that Jesus gave those gifts to, those are the ones that should be doing the Evangelism, but when Jesus was handing out spiritual gifts, I know for sure I didn't get the gift of evangelism. So maybe Billy Graham got it, maybe Brad's mom got it. But like I'm off the hook, right? Because that's that's the way that Jesus gave out those gifts. Well, friend, keep reading in verse 12, where it says that the responsibility of those gifts, why did God give those gifts to the church? The the reason that God gave those gifts to the church is so that those people, those functions, those roles could equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Each part's going to do its own special work. It's going to help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So an evangelist's responsibility is to equip you and I to do the work of evangelism. It's not to do all of the work of evangelism themselves. The reason that evangelists were given to the church is to equip, to train, to catalyze, to strengthen, to model, to call others of us as the people of God to bear witness to the saving power of Christ in the world. But see, here again we've kind of fallen into a bit of a trap uh, that is probably modeled for us by our culture and influenced in our culture. In North American culture, we love and revere specialists. For example, when my car needs fixing, I don't think to myself, I should probably fix it. I think, where's a specialist that I can take this to that it can get fixed and come back to me when it's fixed? when you need a medical procedure done, you don't think to your doctor, I'll just, my GP is totally fine. You say, no, no, I want a specialist. I need to see a specialist about this. We we revere specializations in our culture. And I think that kind of mentality has actually infiltrated our thinking about evangelism. We think to ourselves, hmm, I'm sure there's people around here that need Jesus. We should find someone with the gift of evangelism to talk to them about it. Or we should get like a program of some kind that's going to do some heavy lifting for us. As opposed to the teaching of Ephesians 4 where Paul clearly says, you know, if a, if a man or a woman has the gift of evangelism, has been gifted by the Lord in that way, their role is to exist as a coach to the rest of us, to try and help us grow in love, grow in health, grow in boldness, grow in capacity to do the work that God has put in front of us. And each of us is going to do it in, the, in our own unique way with the gifts that God has given to us. So let's be 100% clear on this. Evangelism is everyone's work. It is not the job of a specialist. It's the holy privilege of every follower of Jesus Christ. You and I have a story to tell you and i have a role to play. You don't have to be a fancy talker who knows all the right things to say or a an apologist who knows all of the questions that people are going to ask and just answer their objections perfectly in every way. I love the way that uh, the famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon talked about this. Someone came to him one time and said, "I Pastor, I just I don't know you know, what I should say. And so I just find myself being quiet when I'm in these types of of conversation. Like, why don't you talk to them, pastor? You're really eloquent. And Spurgeon said this, let eloquence be flung to the dogs rather than souls be lost. What we want is to win souls and they are not won by flowery speeches. (laughs) Basically, he's like, you get after that. You know, why don't you have that conversation with your friend and figure that out? Just yesterday I was reading uh, the biography of because I want to challenge myself in my own growth. And so I'm trying to find and read stories about people who were gifted in this area uh, through history. And so I was reading the story of Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody is probably one of the most famous evangelists of the 19th century in the States and in the UK. And he wrote about how he came to faith. And it was an incredibly simple encounter. His Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, came to the shoe store where he worked in Boston. And Mr. Kimball talks about how he walked past the store door and thought, you know, I should go and talk to Moody about the condition of his soul. But maybe he's working. I don't want to bother him while he's working. So he walked past the store again. And then he thought, you know... He comes to my Sunday school, I, you know, we have a relationship, I should talk to this young man. But no, he walked past the door again. And finally, he had the courage, he thought, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm going to walk in. So Mr. Kimball walked into the shoe store and asked for uh, Mr. Moody, and Moody was in the back, in the stock room. And so he was putting these shoes away, and he found him wrapping up shoes in paper and putting them on the shelves, and Kimball writes, there. In the back of that shoe store in Boston, I made my plea. It was really a rather weak one. I stumbled, I stuttered, I don't remember what words I used. I simply told Moody of Christ's love for him and the love that Christ wanted in return. It was a very short encounter, both of them recalled later. And that was all there was to it. Kimball got over his nervousness, walked to the back of a shoe store, put his hand on a young man's shoulder, fumbled out a few words about the love of Christ. And yet God used that encounter to transform Moody's heart and his spirit and his soul and gave him a love and compassion for people and then began to use Moody in incredible ways. Moody saw thousands and thousands of people come to saving faith through his ministry. Prince, maybe your ministry is gonna look a little more like Mr. Kimball's where you finally work up the courage to just lay a hand on somebody's shoulders and say, let me talk to you about the love of God, things God's done in my life, in my heart. You're not gonna have a polished, put together presentation or be able to answer every objection. Sometimes you just get to the place where you say, God, I'm willing to walk through the front door of the shoe store and I'm willing to fumble out a few words. Would you use me in whatever way you can? Think about it this way, maybe using Jericho Ridge's core purpose statement, which we put up every week, cultivating disciples of Jesus who embody God's love everywhere we go. So if you're living that out and you're an embodiment of God's love everywhere that you go, then people are going to ask questions because your life is going to reflect a genuine love that's been filled and put there by God, by the Holy Spirit. And when people begin to ask questions about your life, why do you go to Guatemala? Why do you give money away? Why do you serve the poor? Why do you uh, go to uh, and volunteer at such and such a place? Or what's different about you when hardship comes into your life? When, when you embody God's love everywhere you go, people begin to ask questions. Your life begins to speak. And when people have questions, then you can speak up and and give them A reason for the hope that lies within you. And when you speak up, you don't have to worry about having it all together or saying some kind of formulaic anything. Just trust the Holy Spirit for words. And when the Holy Spirit's words are coming out, then the results are up to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is sending out his disciples on a proclamation-focused short-term ministry assignment. And some of them have questions. And they say, ah, uh, Jesus, when we're out there talking to people, um, like, what should we say? You're a good talker, Jesus, I'm not a good talker like you. And Jesus says to them, I love how clear and direct he says, he says, you know what? Don't even worry about how you're going to respond or even what you will say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For verse 20 of Matthew 10, it's not you who will be speaking. It's the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's evangelism. That's something that my mother... Understood. Effective evangelism actually doesn't rely on you having the right words. It relies on the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit's work. And so I think if we want to get an image in our mind for evangelism, one possibility might actually be a crockpot. Slow cooker evangelism. Well, how does a slow cooker work? A slow cooker works by putting something inside of it that is hard or raw, and then just giving it time, letting it kind of just simmer and making it soft over time. And and the slow cooker kind of works by recognizing what stage that this particular item is at. Like, some of you in the back row have very, very fancy, like, pre-programmable, like, super slow cookers. Um, ours is just like you turn it on and you turn it off. It has a low and a high setting. That's all that it has. One handle has fallen off over use over time from church potlucks. You know, but some of you are very fancy about this. Like, it reads the internal temperature. You can control it via Bluetooth, all that kind of stuff. I don't know why you need to control your lockpot via Bluetooth, but whatever. Um, Slow cooker evangelism is just letting the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life at the speed, pace, and rate in which the Holy Spirit wants to do it. And just recognizing what stage you are coming into that conversation with. Sometimes you're going to come into the conversation and it's still right at the beginning of that process. And like the meat is still frozen and it's really not ready to be taken out at that moment. There's still a lot of softening work yet to happen in the heart and life of someone or a people group. You might be the one who, you know, just in that conversation, you move somebody from like frozen to just slightly less frozen. That's evangelistic work. That's incredibly powerful. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, we give all the credit to the person who helps them step across the line of faith and praise a prayer with them. But that work of like... unfreezing a heart that is hardened towards Jesus is incredibly powerful work. And you might be called to that work. That is the work of evangelism and it is incredibly necessary and effective. That is a win. That's a huge movement towards God. But usually we only focus on the actual event itself that moves a person across the line of faith. But sometimes it just takes years and years and years and conversation after conversation and conversation. So just like relax about this whole deal of evangelism. It's way more like a slow cooker than it is like a microwave. So sometimes we just need to be patient. So our three things that we need to know About evangelism, we've reminded ourselves: evangelism is hard work. Firstly, secondly, evangelism is everyone's work, and thirdly, evangelism is important work. In fact, it's eternally important work. Gang, this stuff matters. It really, really matters. From your chair right now, if you were to draw a five-kilometer radius around where you are sitting, there's approximately thirty-five thousand people that live in that radius, most of whom, Statistics Canada tells us, do not have a vital connection with Jesus. They, they check that box themselves and say, not in. And so, friends, we have an incredible opportunity, but also an incredible responsibility. When you and I stand before Jesus, at whatever time that is, And he says, hey, I I put you in a strategic place in 2018 and in that zone. Like, it was one of the fastest growing communities in B.C. How many conversations did you have to help people nudge them towards me? I want to hear a word of commendation, a well done, good and faithful servant. But it's, it's incredibly challenging because these are important conversations to have. We need to think carefully about the fact that when we bring a message to somebody, what is the message that we're bringing? The message that we're bringing to someone is a message of hope. I love the way Peter expresses this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. If somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. The text says, be ready and be gentle and respectful. Our message is a message of hope. Our motivation, our motivation is love. The love of God, the love that God has poured into your life, that you have been a recipient of his incredible and eternal and miraculous love, then... That's a thing that we're sharing with other people. I love the way that Billy Graham once put this. He said, listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. What's my job? My job is to love. My job is to figure out how I love well. Loving your neighbor also means speaking truth to them, means acting in loving ways toward them, means acting in loving ways towards people who disagree with you. The scripture reminds us that people will know that we are Christians by our love. That is our motivation and our job. And when evangelism is born out of hope, a message of hope, and an impetus or a motivation of love, that's driving us. That's really moving us, then we're reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that when we do work like evangelism, because it's spiritual work, we need to use spiritual tools. So Paul says, when we come against human reasoning that sets itself up against faith in God, against when we come against false arguments and strategies and strongholds, our strategy is actually really important and that is prayer. The means of evangelism is prayer. Another uh, contemporary evangelist, Sinclair B. Ferguson, who's a Scottish preacher, and so things always sound better and more when you say them in a Scottish accent. I'm not even going to try. But he says, Sinclair Ferguson says, we best defend the Lord's glory by speaking first to him about unbelieving men rather than rushing out and first speaking about him to unbelieving men. In other words, before you engage in that conversation with a friend, with a family member, if hearts are going to be softened to the gospel over the long haul here in Willoughby in your family members' lives where people are stubbornly and staunchly opposed to Jesus, then it's only going to happen because God's people get down on their knees before going out into the streets. It's going to be because the names of our friends and our family members and our teachers and our fellow students are on our lips lifted up before the throne room of Almighty God before we ever open our mouths to speak to them about the saving hope of Jesus. So friends, I I want to challenge us here at Jericho. I want to challenge myself. I think we need to get to a place where we repent of tepid or weak evangelism. And there's lots of fears that are associated with that that have driven a silence around this topic. Fears that we don't know all the answers to possible questions. Fears of being socially ostracized or marginalized. But I don't want us to lose the fact that at Jericho, we need to have a culture of expectation that Jesus is going to transform hearts and lives and bring people into a saving relationship with himself. We're going to be a place at Jericho that grows and overflows, not because we see people coming from other churches, but because people are finding Jesus here for the first time. When we move in the fall to Port Kells and move time and move locations, like, I gotta want to go through that season at Port Kells and look back on it and say, boy, we didn't see anybody come to faith in that time. Like I expect that we will have a culture at Jericho that we're praying and engaging with people who are far from God so that people will come to saving faith here in the life and ministry of Jericho. You might Be here today, and that might actually be uh, something that you've never actually done. You might think, I don't even understand what in the world this guy's talking about because I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. And so friend, if that's you here today, I want to make sure that you're clear. It's why I often do when I preach, I extend an invitation to receive Jesus because I expect that there will be people here who have not yet taken that step. And so that might be you here today you may feel God's spirit tugging at your heart. You may feel this kind of sense of being drawn towards God, inviting you to surrender your life to Jesus. And the way that you do that is just simply by praying and saying, God, I'm sorry for the things that I have done that have created distance between you and I. I want to come home. I want to be part of your family. I want Jesus for you to be my forgiver and my leader starting now. And friend, if that's a desire in your heart, if you have never done that, I want you to come and talk to me today before you leave or talk to the person that brought you. And I want you to let us know that you said yes to Jesus. You can also just open up your Jericho app. There's a next steps card in there. You can fill it out and just indicate, yeah, that's me. I want to take that next step. Because friends, I I want us to see and expect to see God move in our midst. I want us to have the faith to believe that Jesus saves and that we can be a part of that process and that journey. So let me leave you with a couple thoughts in terms of some simple suggestions for you personally how that could happen. What's some action steps that you might want to take? Firstly, think about the people that are immediately around you. God's placed you where you are for a reason, either at your job, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood. Maybe think about making a little map for neighbors who don't know Jesus. I have a little map, and uh, I just write people's names down in my neighborhood on it. And I just take that map, and I use that to pray for them. And just say, God, I pray for so-and-so. I pray that you would actually open up their heart towards you. Pray, just bring us into better contact with each other. God, is there anything you want me to do? Any needs I can meet? Any conversations you want me to have about that? Maybe it's a map of lockers at your school. And you say, I'm going to pray for that kid, that student, three lockers down. Maybe it's people around you in your coworkers uh, that you commute together. Just think about some people that God's placed you around that are, you think, maybe not yet followers of Jesus. Then just write their names down somewhere and begin to make a practice of prayer and asking God for insights and for opportunities. For me, one of the practices I'm trying to do is during Lent, instead of listening to the radio when I drive, I'm trying to remember to pray about those names and pray about, just as I drive around, the things that I see. When I drive through my neighborhood, I try and remember the names of the people that live in those homes and pray for them and ask God that he bring us into contact. And I'm praying and saying, God, open my eyes, open my eyes for opportunities. And then make an invitation. If you're praying that God's going to give you opportunities, believe in faith that he's going to give you opportunities and be ready for them. And so figure out what is the next step that you could help somebody take in their relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's an invite to Easter here at Jericho. Maybe Easter Sunday isn't the right invitation for someone on your list. That's fine. Determine what's the next logical step that you think that person could take or that you could take in relationship with them. Maybe it's having them over to your house. For dinner, to get to know them better, deepen your connection with them. Maybe it's being bold enough to open your mouth and you know a need because they've talked to you as a friend, as a neighbor. And maybe you just say this week, you know what? Last time when we were talking, you talked about a need in your life. Could could I pray about that for you? Would you mind? Would that be something that you would be open to? Maybe you need to think about a book or a resource that you could give them. Uh, So figure out where's God placed you and what's the things around you? you, that uh, the opportunities that God is giving to you. And so that's why what Pastor Wally talked about earlier this morning is important, because here at Jericho, we want to provide you tools and resources and help. I don't want you to ever hear from us to saying, you should do this, you should all be doing this, and then go away and think, actually, they didn't really tell us how we should be doing this or give us any tools or resources for how we should do that. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, we're going to do a seminar together with Prayer Current on April chapter 7. It's just a full day of training as to how to go about having meaningful conversations with people. How to talk to people about God in ways that are not weird, in ways that are not stupid, in ways that are just natural for you. And so we we're opening up registration today for our April 7th seminar. You may want to just go online right now, open up your Jericho Ridge app, and just register for that. And like Pastor Wally said, I really hope that we'll overfill the office so that we'll need to find another location. Because this is really, really good training. We've gotten the books and are gonna, we've read through them and they're re, it's, really, it's really wise and helpful. So I really encourage you uh, to take advantage of that. I want to invite Ron and the team uh, to come up. They're going to lead us in songs, uh, two songs of response. Our prayer team today is Allie Nicole, myself, Katie Kwan, and Wally Nicole. And if you want, I know for lots of us, myself included, this is an area of struggle, this whole topic of evangelism. And if you just say, you know what, I'm here today, and I just want God to stir up my heart in a fresh way uh, around mm. this then I want you to come and we want to pray for you today. Maybe you have a friend or a loved one that you've been praying for for a long, long, long time and you've actually gotten to the place where you just say, you know what, Brad, I'm discouraged. I'm just like, I don't even know anymore. It's been 40, 50, 60 years of praying for this person and nothing. I'm just, I don't know if I have the faith even to believe that God could work in their life in another way. Friend, I want you to come and find us and just mention their name, and and we will join you in that battle and, and come to help you in the fray. It's hard work, friends, but it's not impossible work. It's the work we've all been called to, no matter what our age, no matter how long you've been a Christian. Our team's headed down to Guatemala. We expect that they're gonna come back with a report of lives changed and lives transformed by the saving power of Jesus. Let's have that same expectation here in our own lives, in our own community, that the love of God would just radiate out from this place and it would set open eyes and set captives free. So let's stand and let's worship together as we declare those things to be true. Our prayer team's available just at the back and at the sides for you choose the humble and raise them high you choose the weak and make them strong you heal our brokenness inside and give us life the same love that set the captives free the same